0: Well, good evening. That's crap. Good evening. evening. That's a bit better. Right, okay. Good, good to be back. Um, For most of you, haven't seen my gorgeous face Uh, for a number of months. uh, I was gallivanting in Philadelphia um, during the summer and got to see some of you guys who came out uh, serving the team as well. So I suppose I'll I'll say I'll say hello and uh, good to be back at at CE. And thank you for those who have been praying for me and uh, thinking about me as well. I really appreciate that. Uh, as Gilly said uh, at the start during the announcements, uh, CE, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of First Thessalonians uh, for the next little while leading up into into Christmas. And Thank you to Olivia for, for reading in that. So we're going to be starting that, and we're going to be looking at, at chapter 1. But I'll start off with, with the, this question. What do you want to be remembered for? What do you... As an individual here right now, want to be remembered for. How would you like people to think of you when you maybe have left your school, when the the PC days are over, when you maybe leave your, your town, maybe leave Portadown to go to greater and greener pastures somewhere else. Maybe once you leave your family as well, maybe go get married and go and live somewhere else, maybe down the road or cross an ocean or something generally think uh, about that question how do you want to be remembered in one sense we we can't uh, we have once we think of that question maybe our minds go to uh, when one day when we'll, we will actually die and in a hundred years time all of us will be six feet under pushing up the and how will you want to be remembered no one wants to be remembered as the individual that fell down the stairs in school. No one wants to be remembered. Yeah, wasn't that the guy that like like had all the cats and like lived and had about 50 of them or something like that? No one wants to be remembered as kind of a strained individual. No one wants to be not remembered. But that really doesn't happen because it's important to think and to say that we will be remembered for something. Even if it's in close quarters with your closest friends, and your family are on a wide scale if you somehow become famous you will be remembered for something if I say the name Adolf Hitler we all are reminded about a horrible and an evil human who orchestrated the killing of millions if I say the name Martin Luther King we think of a man who stood up for the civil rights of African Americans. A man who had a strong character and inspired a generation, but unfortunately was assassinated for his cause. But what if I said the name, um, bringing it more local, George Best? Some may say he was, and remember him as as the greatest footballer of all time, certainly the greatest to leave uh, these shores, that's for sure. Though some will remember a man who, who gave up too soon and wasted his life on, on alcohol and gambling and eventually died rather young. We will all be re- remembered eh, for something in our lives. We all, I hope, want to be remembered well and in a, in a positive light whenever we, we leave school, we leave that job, leave our family, our communities, and once we leave this, this scene of time. But most importantly, what we are remembered for must be worthwhile. It must be worthwhile. And we're going to look at a, at a group of people, specifically tonight, but over the course of this this series in First Thessalonians, of uh, a group of people that the, the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, remembers. And he, he commends them, and he is grateful for them, quite simply because they, they faithfully followed Jesus. Nothing madly radical in that, but that's what he remembers about them. So what's going on here in First Thessalonians? Um, Where we're in the good grief in the world is Thessalonian? Uh, it's not actually called Thessalonians, it's called Thess- 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 Thessalonica, which was in Macedonia. It's now in modern-day Greece. So if you've been to Greece, maybe you've possibly been to a place called Thessalonica. Uh, It was the capital city of Macedonia. Macedonia used to be a massive country. It's now quite a small country. And it was a huge trading route. It sort of connected the eastern provinces and Rome. And Rome was basically the capital of the world back in the day. Uh, The writers of this, as we've seen, is Paul, Silas, or known as Silvanus, and Timothy. And that's very important. Paul, uh, fairly Uh, radical individual. He went from basically killing Christians to becoming a Christian and ends up actually writing the majority of the New Testament, Uh, the leader of the church, and he, he writes this here, what we have looked at. But what about these people that Paul's actually talking about that he's remembering and commanding, these Thessalonians? Who, what's their deal? Well, they were a bit of a ragbag group. Uh, They were filled with uh, ex-pagans, people who basically worshipped everything. They had all the gods under the sun, and they decided to follow them. Uh, But also included Jews, people who followed uh, one god, but they had been recently converted. They would set that to the side, and they decided, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. They'd heard the gospel, and it transformed them. But as uh, what we have read, you may have picked it up already, that didn't go too well for them. They had been facing uh, severe persecution, ostracism uh, from their friends and family, uh, physical abuse as well. Yet, they faithfully continued. And what we're going to do this evening is we're going to look at uh, three uh, clear points in how these, these Thessalonian people have been impacted by, by the glorious and sweet news of the gospel. The glorious and sweet news of the gospel. But first, let's just quickly consider what Paul is is thankful for in verses uh, 2 and 3. And I'm noting that there's no verse numbers on that, so it's a little bit confusing. Verses 2 and 3, it's basically the sort of word says we always thank God um, onwards. He, he's thankful for three things. In verse 3 it says, that, and this is the ESV, but it's pretty similar, translated in the NIV. Their work of faith... Their labor of love and steadfastness of hope. It's quite the, the start to this, this this resume concerning these people. The NIV, as you can see, it, it translates it like this. And it's quite good. It says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, love and hope. We've heard, we've seen that triad, and we've probably came across it in some coffee cups in Faith Mission before. But in what? Faith, love, and hope in what? You and I can place our faith in a, in a lot of things. We can hope, we can long for a, a range of outcomes in our in our lives, and we can share love, and we can share worship a whole pile of people, things, and perceptions. Some of those things can be good, they can be healthy, they can be by and large positive things, though on the other side many of those things can be quite frankly negative. They can be harmful and they can be quite terrible. And what Paul commends the Thessalonian Christians for before God is their newfound faith, hope and love in the Lord Jesus Christ. That seems quite a, a simple thing. Well, of course, it's a church it's that he's writing to and he's thanking them for, for trusting Jesus. Well, they're Christians, of course they'll do that. But we can't overemphasize that and we can't just overlook the importance of that. It's quite simply the most important thing in the world and it's the most important thing Paul could be thankful for these guys. They've trusted Jesus as their Saviour. It's the, the ultimate, the, the overarching, life altering, eternity defining decision matter in life. This is the most important aspect of thankfulness Paul has for these Thessalonian Christians. Because Paul knows and, and so do we here in twenty eighteen that one day, as I've alluded to, in a hundred years' time, once we're six feet under pushing up the disease, our lives will be finished. And these guys and so of us at one point will, will have to stand before God. We don't like talking about this stuff, do we? But we will stand before God, our creator. And God will simply ask, what did you do with my son? Did you place your faith in him? Was he your absolute hope? Did you love Jesus? And at that moment, your, your faith in a, in a human relationship your ability or skillfulness, your hope to live a good life, have a family, get a decent job, your love for your boyfriend, girlfriend, mom, dad, pet dog, as great as they are, will mean absolutely nothing. And you're going to get no merit before God. No matter how many Insta followers, your exam results, how successful you are, that means nothing on that day. Faith, love, and hope, is it's, it's littered throughout the New Testament specifically. And it's used basically as a, as a shorthand summary of the essentials of Christianity. Faith as the assurance that, that God has acted in Jesus, his son, to save me and to save you. Love that has been poured into our lives as an expression of a restored relationship between us and God. And hope as the confidence that God will carry out a good work within you. And will complete it one day. Knowing that our future is, is, not, is not facing wrath and judgment. But is with salvation. Well as I said we, we want to spend the majority of our time looking at, at three points. That are, are filtered and littered through uh, these ten verses in First Thessalonians. And the first point that we want to look at is how... These people have been chosen. We get that in verses 4 and 5. They have been chosen. Paul reminds the believers in Thessalonica that they are loved by God. And the tense eh, in the original language depicts that it's an ongoing love of God for them. It's not to say that, that God loved them and then decided to like, oh well... I suppose I've given them a little bit of love. I suppose I might show a bit of love to the, that church down the road or these other people. No, it's that they are loved and they are continually loved by God. They are loved by God who is himself love. Love in its, its truest sense is found in its greatest sense in God. So because of this love, God has chosen them. They have been elected by God to be his followers. Now we need to need to pause and all take a, a deep breath in right now, because for many of us who read verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it will immediately uh, jar with them, maybe it jarred with you. Questions and, and pointing fingers will arise quite quickly once we read it. We read different passages in the Bible, both old and new, we ask the question, does God choose certain people and ignore others? Another way of asking that is, does God choose he wants to be with him in heaven and then sends the rest to hell? They're big questions, and maybe you've thought of those before maybe someone's asked you them certainly people have asked me those questions before one massive point we we need to remember once we're tackling things like this is uh, tackling questions like that is this once it comes down to uh, our salvation if you're a christian here tonight and that you've been saved our salvation is never a product of our human effort in and of ourselves we we quite literally have have no hope within us there's no spark within us that is it's just waiting for a little bit of faith on our part for salvation to be ignited. It's not it's just not the case. And all you have to do is you don't have to listen or believe in me. You just have to read the Bible. It paints the picture so clear. There's there's no spark, there's no bright light shining within us. There's not even a heartbeat, to be frank. We are, spiritually speaking, dead. Far away, the enemies of God, alienated. If you think you're, you're, you're something before God, you should really read Romans 3 and 9 onwards to get a pretty picture of the condition of humanity. There's nothing within us that desires to even seek God, what we need is divine intervention. And that is exactly what happens as God chooses. But what we need to notice is that God's election, his, his choosing of people is always connected with his love. As Paul does here in verses verse 4 and he does in, in Ephesians and it's also mentioned in Deuteronomy as well. God's love and his election are, are deeply interconnected. We can't have one and not the other. And let's just pause and think about that. God does not love us because in and of ourselves we we are lovable. Though we're like really nice. And of course, like sometimes we may think, Oh, of course God would love us. Sure, aren't we great? Where is his prized possession? Or that if he he loves us, that we may return the favor in, in some small fashion. That God really, really wants us to love him back. God loves us quite simply because he loves us. And that's as simple as it gets. He loves us because he loves us. God is love, and out of that character flows his, his never-ending and unrelenting love towards the centerpiece of his creation, i.e., me and you. So even though we've, we've rebelled, we've, we've turned away from God, we've rejected God, God out of, of sheer everlasting love, set about a plan of redemption which would culminate in him sending his very own son jesus christ to pay the price not that he deserved but that i deserved and that you everyone sitting here deserved so that we could be brought back into relationship with him now that is love that is love of the highest order But how does Paul know that these these Thessalonians have been chosen by God? How does he know that they have have really, in a sense, been truly converted? Well, verse 5 answers um, the question. And it says this It says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And the answer is quite simply the gospel. The good news which Paul, Silas, and and Timothy had, had brought to these guys concerning Jesus had been delivered to them. But note how Paul describes how the gospel is delivered to them. It came to them in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. The gospel, the good news concerning Jesus Christ, is a message. It contains words and it has content. Therefore, it must be verbalized for people to hear, to understand, and uh, eventually acquire faith. However, words alone really don't have any power or authority in themselves. I could tell you that I am the, the current world champion in the pole vault. I am. No, I'm not. I could tell you that, but that statement means absolutely nothing. If I can't back it up with a bit of evidence, or if I was able to show you a gold medal, which I left at home, I'll bring it next week. The gospel message, as, as mere words, does not have power in and of itself. Just as words, I could eloquently articulate something, it depends on something else. It needs divine intervention. The gospel message needs enforced by the power of the Spirit. Our human efforts of of sharing about Jesus, even how how feeble they are. Maybe you've had that experience where you've tried to talk to someone about Jesus and you've just completely messed it up. You've actually spouted some heresy to them as well, and you've just completely crumbled. Or maybe you've had a time and you've had a really good conversation with someone and you've you've shared Jesus with them. Maybe it's a friend or a family member, and you sort of go away and you like, you know what, that's pretty good did quite well there, answered all the questions, thought I articulated that really well. Well, do you know what? Both of those, whether weak or strong, are in, in the same need of the Spirit's work. And ultimately, for, for Christians here, and if you are a Christian, someone who follows Jesus, that really should bring liberty and freedom to our hearts. It's never about how well or efficiently you talk about Jesus or communicate um, the gospel because no one's really going to be changed by, by our words. Conversion's never our battle, it's not what we have to fight. That's a work that's left to God and specifically to His Spirit. But nevertheless, we, we shouldn't be lazy. We shouldn't be like, Well, do you know what I don't really need to try this? No, we still need to try. We still need to have the motivation, desire to share the gospel. Pray that God would use our, our frail human efforts. There's people in this very room. And uh, you're not Christians. You know that you aren't a Christian. And you have, you've heard this gospel. You've just heard it um, from me this evening. And you've probably heard it a million times before because you live in Northern Ireland and it's everywhere. And you've been told about the reality of your sin and your, your need of a savior. And yet those words have just quite simply not gripped your heart. You have placed excuse after excuse in front, and really you you have a proud heart. You refuse to embrace the free invitation of grace that Jesus offers to you. You reject him. We pray that the Spirit would work in your heart to change you. So these people are chosen, but they're also, and our second point is that they are changed. They are changed. So because of this divine intervention, the gospel has changed these Thessalonians. Everything has changed. Their world's turned upside down, and their lives will, will never be the same again. And sure, well, that's what the gospel does. We can testify to that. And when true repentance takes place in the life of a believer, things happen. They're changed. When the gospel is welcomed by any human being. So what, is the, what was the change for these Thessalonians? What's, what does Paul say here in these uh, first 10 verses? Well, it's sort of scattered all over the place. In verses 3 to 4, he says that they, they have a new family. Well, we've just really covered that. These folk uh, from was Macedonia, now Greece, have been chosen by God. Paul reminds them that God is now their, their heavenly Father. And because of that, they are now in the family of God. And that's great news. But also, and furthermore, they have an extended family as well. They have new brothers and sisters. They have Christians and believers, as Paul makes reference in verse 4. Ephesians 1 and 4 says, <clears throat> and part of the verse says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have been adopted into the family of God. God has won us back, not through our human efforts, as we've discussed, but through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. So we have a brand new identity. You and I, if you're a Christian, we're children of God, and we have a a heavenly father who has the the best interests at heart for you. Second thing is that they they have a new focus. They now have a, a new worldview, a new way of living. Before they were looking to the worthless and dead idols and the religious rituals. But now they're focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ and making him known. And the final point is this, that they have a new future. We get that in verse 10, the last verse. They begin to to wait for the coming, the return of their, their now Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They begin to look forward to, to his return. They don't have to fear or to be anxious at the return of Jesus or what will happen to them when they die, constantly wondering where will they go? Will they go to heaven? Will they go to hell? What's going to happen? No, they have an eternity secured for them because they have embraced the gospel. They don't need to fear the coming wrath. They'll face those who, who reject Jesus. They have full assurance that Jesus is, who will be the judge of many, will be their saviour and will and has promised deliverance and will hold to that. And what we've seen in, in the Thessalonians is, is what occurs when, when true conversion takes place. They've heard the gospel, they've welcomed it, and they have embraced it. And surprise, surprise, things have changed. And that is what happens when, when blind eyes are opened to the glory of the free invitation of grace. These folk had went from from paganism or Judaism or what Paul rightly identifies as idols in verse 9, which are are dead, which are empty and, and hopeless. And now they've turned to the living and the true God. They have a new family. They have a new focus and they have a new future. And for those of us, who who confess Jesus as as our Savior, we live in the same reality as these Thessalonians. And because of that, we have been changed. We have been impacted by the gospel. what I want to do is to basically encourage you, remind you of these things, that we have a heavenly Father who loves you. A heavenly Father who loves you, and who, as we've thought about, continues to love you. We have a, a new focus. We have a, a mission that has been set in our place—a mission that will that we are called to fulfil, to share this this news regarding Jesus. And we have have a secured future. We constantly—the problem of our this generation, my generation, your generation—is that we live in an instantaneous age. We're always about the. Uh, what happens now or what happens right next. It's never thinking about and taking our time thinking about a couple of years down the line or the, f- the future, essentially. As Christians, we have a secured future. Jesus has, has dealt with our sin. We are assured that one day we will be with him forever in perfection. Third point and the final point is this that yes these these guys have been have been chosen, they've they've been changed, but they've also become examples or imitators. Because they've been changed, they've become examples of what happens when the gospel is welcomed. Even though they're they're really infants in their, their faith, essentially they're they're baby Christians and they're facing all the persecution. Under the sun, they have become great examples for other Christians and um, to, to follow and to adhere to. Their faith in the Lord was, was that impressive. It was that forthright. It, it spread throughout their entire country of Macedonia. And also uh, spread into the land of Achaia, which is now the west of Greece. But what Paul says is that, yes, it's went to these places, but it's, their faith has gone forth everywhere people were talking about these thessalonians they would talk about how they went from worshiping all their pagan gods under the sun or how they have turned from legalistic judaism and how they have started to follow that this this new religion this new religion that's about this guy jesus and that religion is just spreading across the known world like wildfire They weren't static in their newfound faith, but they were active. Verse 8 says, Paul says that the word of the Lord went forth from them. They had received the greatest news in the world, and they didn't keep it for themselves, but they spread it throughout Thessalonica. They have been utterly transformed by the gospel, and now they want the same transformation to take place in the lives of their friends and their family. In their city, in their country, and further afield. There was no social media in first century Macedonia. Not that we know of. They didn't embark on a a wide-scale marketing campaign. There was no viral videos. There was no hashtag trending. Yet the news of their faith travelled fast, simply from mouth to mouth. People talking about the change and how these people had embraced Christianity as their own and it got me thinking about how great it would be and a grand idea and a grand hope to think and mull it over is if people would start talking about the Christians you and I about CE here about the churches that you represent we'll go and port it down and in, in, in a same light as what was taking place in, Thessalon- in Thessalonica 2000 years ago And how that happens, it's not rocket science. We don't have to have any clever or cute ideas or fantastic five-year plans on how we get everyone talking about Jesus. Paul gives the examples and the means very simply. And there's two ways. And the first is this, that we have faith in him. We have faith in Jesus. We turn from our, our past idols. These guys were to actually quite literally been worshiping idols we don't actually have well i hope nobody actually has an idol at home a statue where they go and worship and pray incense over it hopefully not if not please see me afterwards we have different types of idols we have our jobs our our careers our education which we put first in our lives over a relationship with jesus and god calls us to simply place our trust in him to live holy, distinct lives, that we would grow in that. And the second thing is this: that we would talk about Jesus. We have a desire that we would have a desire to to spread the gospel, to talk to our friends uh, about our faith and what what they what what we believe, simply through through conversation. We don't need to. Go and get the stage lights out, or become the town crier in the middle of Portadown beside St Mark's. We just have to have conversation with our friends, ask them. Ask friends, family members, have they have they read the Bible before? Would they consider reading the Bible with you? You don't need to know the Bible to be able to read it with somebody. Well, ask them what do they know about Christianity? Maybe they have a lot of myths attached to their. To their stereotypes. What's the worst thing they're going to say? No? That should be okay. So what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered for? What will Henry Capper be remembered for? Apart from a rock and beard. What will, insert your name, be remembered for? Would you and I be people who are remembered for for something worthwhile, something that can really change and and transform another person's life, uh, something that could totally flip Porta down on its head? Would we be remembered for our faith in Jesus and and our willingness to proclaim him for his glory? Amen. Amen. The band can come up and lead us in worship. (laughs) Come <laughs> on,